everybody. Dave Lindbergh in Hong Kong. Cloudy day here today. Another episode of THD Podcast. And this one, we have a uh, audio loudspeaker technology institute member joining us uh, today. This is, I think, their second visit to the podcast, but uh, Institute uh, for Audio and Loudspeaker. A lot of people might know them as Alma. So uh, with uh, to introduce that, it is uh, Tectonic Audio Labs. And uh, as always, our uh, co-host from Japan, Mr. Simon Weston. How are we doing today, Simon? Uh, a little bit chilly over here, Dave, but I hear that uh, Tim's going to go hard and deep. So looking forward to that. <laughs> All right. So we've got everybody on uh, either clicking away of their computer instantly or, <laughs> or, 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 or sitting down for a nice session. I don't know which way it might go. But Mr. Tim Whitwell calling in from Tectonic in the Seattle region. How are you doing today, Tim? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, it's a okay, so sunny day here, which is a, you know, we take it when we get it. So, Okay, so to, to preface this for everybody, um, we've talked about some of the products technology-wise that Tectonic brings to market previously, um, but there's, uh, I guess, some marketing effort coming up from Tectonic in terms of um, the application of the BMR drivers in a particular product category, and... Uh, and so in preparing some of that, uh, Tim and I had some discussion on it and, it's, and it quickly became something that sounded very exciting to talk about in terms of explaining uh, details about the podcast. So what we're talking about today is a market segment called Unified Communications. Uh, other people might know it as just conferencing speakers, those classic kind of poly, polycom uh, devices you see in the center of an office. But now with everybody working remotely and such, this product category has kind of exploded uh, in the last uh, 12 months. And so we wanted to talk to Tim today about uh, what makes these things so great uh, or BMR so great for use in this. So um, where should we start, Tim? Um, I think... Yeah. Uh, just, just a quick... Uh, just a quick uh, kind of addendum as well. I mean, what we see in the UC space now is, you know, not just like the tabletop conferencing devices. I think you mentioned like the Polycom ones are pretty, pretty, pretty well known. Um, yeah. But it extends into things like uh, soundbars um, that 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 go, you know, underneath a TV in, in a conferencing room. So you've got, you know, the people on the screen and the sound bar underneath, or it could be sound devices down the sides. And it even extends into things like ceiling speakers now as well. So there's, there's um, again, it's, you know, filling the conference room with the audio. Um, so, it, you know, it goes from the domestic level, you know, people at home on their computers to, you know, conferencing systems, small rooms with just a little hand, you know, desktop device to bigger conferencing rooms with sound bars and ceiling speakers. So it's a pretty broad category now. So, so I, I guess the, the theme is there people aren't just huddled around this single speaker. It's get, getting even more complicated for people to be hearing this audio. And I think that's a good segue into uh, why the BMRs can be effective. And we talked about the sound power level a lot in, in preparing uh, th this marketing effort. And so maybe we can discuss a bit about the sound power level and how that differs from uh, the the um, sound pressure level that most people use as a measurement tool. Perfect. Yeah. So, um, yeah, sound, sound power level is something that we've um, you know, been kind of pushing quite hard at Tectonic because it, it, it's probably the most representative way of capturing the total radiated energy into a given space. And so 
what you're doing essentially is, is making sound pressure measurements uh, at points that cover like a hemisphere around the, around the device under test. Um, so in, in the case of Tectonics Anechoic Chamber, we have a, a 19 microphone array. So that's um, 19 microphones spaced five degrees from zero to 90. Um, and so we basically can, can put a, a drive unit or a speaker on our, on our platform, a baffle that's connected to a turntable. Um, and then we can measure with all of those 19 microphones, uh, all the angles, five degree resolution. Then we can rotate it five degrees, measure again, rotate and, and, and so on. And that way you build up a, a hemispherical map um, of, the, of those kind of sound pressures. And then you can combine them together into what's called the, the sound power level, as you mentioned. Um, which is a relatively straightforward process, but you, you do have to, it's not just averaging the, the pressures because you have to account for the area through which each radiates. And the, the microphone that's directly above is gonna, sound's gonna come through a little tiny circle at the top of the hemisphere, but the microphone that's out here is gonna be the sounds coming from a whole strip around the circumference of the, of the hemisphere, the sort of virtual hemisphere that you've created. So again, you have to apply some weighting there, but again, re relatively straightforward. But, what you end up with um, is you can either look at it as like a heat map of the, of the sort of pressure field over the hemisphere, or you look at something like the sound um, power response, uh, sound power level response curve, which, which looks like a frequency response curve, but it's, as I say, it's integrating all of those individual points. And so it tends to have more of a sort of sloping down trend towards higher frequencies, um, depending upon the device. And, and, and as we know with, with, with most speakers, that, the directivity tends to narrow as you go to higher frequencies. And so therefore you're getting less power radiated off to the sides. And so you want to see that, 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 that level kind of drop as you get to higher frequencies. Um, and, and then, as you say, that kind of naturally sort of leads into, you know, why, for example, a BMR would be a, a good solution um, for conferencing speakers. So if we, if we start with that kind of simple tabletop concept um, of a device in the center of a conference table, and you have people, you know, typically all around it. And so this is a good example because in many of those systems, there's a single speaker in there, uh, maybe up firing. Okay, so again, a, a single point SPL measurement is, is not that helpful when you've got people all kind of sat around it. Um, so knowing how that, uh, that device radiates in all directions is, 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 is extremely helpful. Um, and this is one of the features Core, you know, key features of, of our BMR drive units is that um, they have a smooth and extended sound power response across the whole range. Um, and that, that's something that can be, can be quite unique. And, you know, there are other, you know, plenty of full range drivers out there, but, but a natural feature of a BMR is that we, we balance that sound power response. So it's always smooth. Um, and uh, essentially what, you know, what we're doing is we are using the bending wave modes uh, in the in the diaphragm to our advantage and, and, and balancing them out so that we get this uniform smooth radiation pattern um, and interestingly it, it often extends into the ultrasonic frequencies and this is something again that, that the UC uh, unified communications field is becoming interested in now because again you think about having um, a device where you can perhaps you can do gesture control so the ultrasonics can maybe detect your hand movements for volume control things um, but perhaps more more usefully for you for the uc area is uh, being able to sort of ping the room and maybe identify where where bodies are you know with with an ultrasonic kind of almost like a like a sonar ping but, but in, you know in the ultrasonic domain um, 
and again, that that's something that most of our BMRs have kind of automatically built in uh, anyway. So, um, so yeah, so you know, having having a, a, an upfiring device in that sense that has a uniform, smooth radiation pattern um, and, and sound power response is probably the best way of getting the highest intelligibility, most natural sounding uh, speech uh, that you can from any from any system. Uh, so that that that's where a BMR would be a great starting point in a system like that. And and how how unique is that? Like, what's what's the relative uh, comparison? Like, if somebody goes, "No, nah, I don't need that. I use this regular speaker." Like, um, how close could they get with using other electronics or other methods? Um, and and so and then and then that kind of parlays into uh, how how the the single unit versus what I understand you eliminate the crossover becomes effective as well. So what's what's the yeah, other way to do it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, you know, obviously electronics and, and DSP now is very commonplace, but, you know, you, you, you can't with DSP, you can't fix something at a particular angle in a, in, a, in a drive unit's radiation, because when you apply the DSP, you're applying EQ boost, you know, in a certain region um, of the response, but that that's going to be driven into the whole drive unit. So all angles are going to be changed by doing that. So what you often find is that a speaker, you know, maybe starts rolling off above, you know, five, six, seven kilohertz. Um, and so you may want to boost the response to, to level that. Or, or actually probably a better example is, let's say we're looking at 45 degrees off, off axis, uh, which is where somebody may be sitting or standing on, on that conference call. Um, the problem then is, is that if you adjust the equalization so that they get a good response, somebody that's a bit more closer to on axis is going to be getting a much very, very boosted high frequency response that will sound unnatural and, uh, and, and probably a little bit harsh. Mm. Um, now, uh, again, someone may not be standing in that location, but that energy has now entered the room in a way that's, you know, not a natural proportion of energy. So it's going to detract from the, uh, from the experience and, and from the intelligibility. Um, so there's, there's, there's that aspect. And then as, as you say, you know, you know, obviously the BMRs in most cases, we are uh, offering like a full range driver solution or a mid HF approach. Um, obviously a full range driver eliminates the need for a crossover, um, but in a, in a two way device, um, you have to have a crossover. And, and this is one of the, one of the issues that you come up against with the sort of conventional technology out there is that the tweeters, the physics of, of tweeters means that they, they have to be crossed over somewhere between one to three or four kilohertz. Um, and unfortunately, that's the region where the human hearing system is most sensitive. And so, you, you know, there's all kinds of anomalies that can happen in that crossover. Um, and again, you can do the crossover so it works great at one position, but then it may not work so great at another position. And again, we have a, a room of people standing around. You know, how do you guarantee it works for everyone? And there's a, a hell of a lot of um, engineering effort that can go into making that crossover as uniform as possible. And, and, and you may never quite get there because one of the other issues that we commonly see here is that the separation of the units, the, the tweeter and the mid-bass driver, for example, um, that separation, that distance can be about the same as the wavelength at the crossover point. And that really makes the, the crossover challenge very difficult to, to, to do. Um, you know, you think about the wavelength at say three kilohertz is, is a, the order of 10 centimeters. And that, that may be the separation of the two drive units. Um, whereas, you know, what, what we kind of promote a lot with the BMRs as, as kind of mid HF devices, is at that point you can cross them over at 300 hertz or so where the wavelength is over a meter 
And then if the if the two drivers are separated by 10 centimeters, doesn't really matter. They're effectively coaxial to a large extent. So, you know, that that lowered crossover uh, ability kind of solves those issues. Or, or as I say, you use a full range, full range uh, BMR. Um, so when you said um, a crossover with a mid HF driver uh, to something else, you mean there's a there's a base driver as well? Yeah, if, if you wanted to have say extended low frequencies or something like that in a, in a two way system, then you know with a then in that case I'd use like a mid HF type BMR uh, and cross it over to that to that base driver. But you'd cross it over say three four hundred hertz yeah, or something yeah. where it's uh, you know really um, not an issue. Yep. And um, let's say if you're taking the, the example of a uh, table, a bench top, desktop um, unit with a speaker up firing, is that is that a valid example? That, that, that could be one example. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it could apply to sound bars as well. It could apply to um, ceiling speakers. Um, okay. In, in that case, though, like uh, say the sort of like a uh, teleconferencing speaker, uh, do mm -hmm. they generally need anything lower than 300 hertz? Is they, that not they, already they, they, covered well enough? They, they certainly historically they tended not to necessarily go that much lower, um, yeah. but again it's it, you know you, you do lose some of the warmth of uh, you know certain vocal ranges in, in in doing that. So often there is more now a push to go lower in frequency, at, le at least a bit lower, um, and just capture a bit more of that natural speech sound. Yeah. Right. So you just get a, a more natural sound out of it if you do have bass extension essentially. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yeah, of course. That, that, that there's a trade-off there as well. So, it, it, in a sense, you have the microphones that are you know working hard to try and capture, you know, everyone's speech within the room. But of course, you know, once you start having you know lower frequencies in your system, that can cause a lot of vibration within the structure or the enclosure of the speaker, and those vibrations can couple to the microphones and create distortion problems for the echo cancelers and, and, and so on. So again, there's always a trade-off there. And, and, you know, and again, when you design your low frequency side of it, you have to you know, pay a lot of attention to that as well as you know, where the microphones are positioned and how they are mounted to isolate them from some of those vibrations. Yep, okay. And uh, so that's another point in terms of the echo cancellation. This is normally part of uh, like a Zoom or a Skype or whatever the PC is doing that job. Mm -hmm. uh, does using a BMR have any influence on that, positive or negative? Um, so we, we, we don't have any um, objective data at this point on that. We yeah. only have some anecdotal exp experiences where we've, we've, we've kind of played with systems in, in, a, in a room and, um, you know, I guess the, the classic one was, you know, trying to get the, uh, the, the, the weight words with a smart speaker and you know, trying to yeah. get the, the barge in. So you've got this, the device playing music, you're standing in the far side of the room and you you say, you know, Hey device, what's the weather today? Um, and, uh, and, and we've anecdotally seen some cases where, where, where the BMR system was more responsive. Um, and again, we, we don't fully know yet. This is an area of ongoing research for us is, is you know, what, what exactly is going on there. One of the things that we potentially see, is um, certainly with with two-way devices when you have the crossover, um, you know, in that in that kind of critical region, the, the the phase shifts and the crossover can also cause issues for the for the echo cancel and stuff as yeah. well. So going to a full range solution at that at that point might be a better option. I kind of feel intuitively uh, with a more even power distribution from the speaker that that effect would be enhanced essentially or, or more effective. Yeah, and that's exactly again. That was the other thing that we kind of postulated there. Um, mm. Is is that you know if, if you're if you're off axis to the speaker, if it's a traditional speaker, most of the time when you're off axis, certainly at the higher frequencies, you're not getting 
uh, as good a sound level. Um, and so you have to turn the device up more. Yeah. And so what that means is, is that the device is working harder, which means there's more distortion coming from the drive units and perhaps from the amplifier as well. Of course, the microphones then are, are seeing a higher SPL, so they're driven closer to their overload points. And so the whole system then becomes you know, less stable potentially, whereas with the BMR, given that the off-axis is often as you know, very close to the on-axis in terms of level, people don't need to turn it up so much. And so the whole system is more relaxed and, and, and more effective. Right. And so, so like now that these systems are going off the desk and as a, you know, conference room soundbar and sound pressure, I remember with the early uh, introductions of the Alexas and the, the Siri or not Siri, but Google um, assistants in the soundbars, the factories making it, it was very challenging for them to, to, to get that to work. So I guess in general, like you you might be putting larger BMRs into those, uh, soundbar type systems as people move them into the uh, the side of the room and, and further away with uh, people having to hear from uh, kind of obscure angles that aren't uh, facing the desk. Yeah, right. and, and, and the other thing we see, and again, you, you'll see this in some of the older kind of conferencing speaker systems is that they often use multiple drive units. Again, mm -hmm. you know, maybe pointing in different directions to try and give everyone the coverage they need. Yeah. And again, if you can achieve that same coverage with a single unit, you know, not only is it more cost effective, but also you have less acoustic interference because those three units are going to be the due to path length differences to people in different locations. They're going to get, you know, a certain amount from one and a certain amount from another. And because there's a slight difference in distance between the sound from those two different drive units, there's going to be an interference effect. And, and again, so a, a single acoustic source is always preferable in that sense because of those kind of interference effects. Um, so uh, you guys sell the raw drivers, right? Not, yes, that's correct. Uh, not completely. Yep. So uh, your customers are people who are building products that integrate uh, microphones, electronics, and then your driver? Yes, yes. What do they need to, what skills do they need to have to make use of the drivers? Is there any uh, quirks or, uh, you know, special abilities you need or uh, just a regular stuff it in a box and away you go? Um, no, a really good question. So, so a little bit of both. So, in, in one sense, the you know the, the the BMR drive units work just like a certainly at low frequencies work just like a regular drive unit. So you put them in a box. You can tune them with ports or passives, EQ, everything exactly the same as you as you would normally do. Um, the the only caveat I would say is because the BMRs have this very wide off-axis output, you know, wide directivity output, you have to be a, a little careful in terms of how they mount into the baffle. You don't, you obviously don't want to recess them too far mm. because then you're going to be acoustically shading certain angles, mm. and it will interact with the because there's so much more energy coming off axis, it will interact with the local baffle environment more strongly. So there's a little bit of you know making sure it's you know little flares or kind of rounded edges. Not necessarily a full-on waveguide, but you know that sort of not having sharp edges and recessing it too far. Those are the main main things to to, to worry about. But um, they haven't been issues for any of the customers we're currently working with on that. So, uh, so do you still publish like a TS parameters to help people design an enclosure? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, all of our data sheets for the drive units come with the standard uh, teal small parameters, um, yeah. and and obviously they'll come with some power handling information. Um, you know, where recommended cross, you know, high pass filter for the for, for, for the power handling setup, and then measurements of on axis SPL, impedance curve, and the sound power response as well, normally too. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I want to jump back to the point that you mentioned earlier about the uh, sound power level response having a mm. uh, downward sloping character. 
Is that um, in any way different to uh, regular loudspeakers? And how does that actually come across in terms of being a natural sound? Is that not perfectly natural? Yes, and, and actually a certain a certain downward sloping trend is actually desirable, and that, that's what's been determined. I think there's plenty of AES literature on it as, as almost like the sort of the, the most natural balance for, for most people, because when you're listening to a speaker, of course, you're not just hearing the direct sound, you're hearing the reflections off the nearby surfaces. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's important to kind of factor that in as well. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, room response type of thing, uh, that's still a constant that you can't really have any influence over. True. I mean, that, that, of course, you know, every room is different and that has a big part to play. Um, but again, you know, if you know that, that that total energy coming off your drive unit is, 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 is of this kind of natural smooth character, then you know whether the reflections are strong or weak, at least the, the, the general character is going to be, nothing's going to be sticking out too much and causing you know, response anomalies or um, intelligibility issues. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And um, uh, power handling amplifier side, it is the same, same deal? Just, just the same, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So it can be a drop-in replacement for uh, somebody who's got an existing uh, box? For sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and again, as, uh, just kind of going back to what a point you made earlier on that, um, obviously we publish you know, data sheets for all our drive units, but we, you know, we also provide engineering uh, services. Um, yep. So again, depending upon the level of competency, some of our customers are new to, us, to this field or have you know, come from traditionally other, other areas. And again, we're always happy to, to look at um, how we can support best with you know, measurements, advice, engineering, even sometimes down to the ID level, we can, we can uh, provide advice there too. So. To give them an engineer's ID, a nice rectangular box with big well, screws. No, no, we, we actually we have a uh, actually our, our VP of operations is a, a very very talented gentleman, and he actually has some some real chops in that area, and he he, he can create renders and and so on to you know give customers some some idea of what it might look like. Um, you know, ju just like we often will produce a three D printed enclosure, drop our drive units in use one of our off-the-shelf amplifier EQ solutions and send that to a customer so they can get a feel early on for what their product might sound like. We can also do the, the, the you know, the renders, you know, ID render side to give them a feel for what it might actually look like with the real paint finish and, and so on. Now, that's not necessarily our, our core competency, but it's it's something that we have offered in the past and some of our customers have actually really found that beneficial. Mm. Yeah. And um, do, are people asking for custom driver, like uh, they want a very specific dimension, something to fit a particular space, or uh, does it tend to be uh, standardized sizes? Yeah, I mean, we do We do obviously get sort of requests as well. Um, you know, of course, the easiest for us is to use something off the shelf. But again, if, if the customer is either, you know, significant uh, expected volumes or, you know, we, we yeah. also do um, offer uh, NRE type services, we, you know, we can design a custom unit uh, to suit any particular application. Yeah. yeah I, I guess, I mean, is there much is there much demand for that or are standard sizes quite, uh, quite flexible? I mean, cover the range. Yeah, I mean, often it's sort of an in-between, you know, often the customer will say, you know, we really like this unit, but we want to change a couple of things. Yeah. Um, and, and again, for us, you know, it, it still means we have to create a new, a new, a new, you know, part number and all that kind of thing. So it's completely separate through our, through our kind of operational chain. Um, but in terms of the engineering effort required, depending upon the changes they're looking for, it may not be a big engineering effort. 
Um, would, it, would it be fair to say that the um, uh, the tuning of the BMR effect, what do you call that? The uh, you know the dispersion effect is, is diaphragm level. Yes. So if you wanted to change your frame, so the mounting or something, then that's fine. That doesn't affect it at that level. Yeah, change, changing things like the basket and a frame and that kind of thing generally doesn't have any any real impact. Yeah. Um, you know, often it's a case of you know they may want to increase the sensitivity and, and it maybe we use uh, increased magnet grades. Um, again, that that normally wouldn't change the balancing at all. Um, it would just give a, a, a slightly higher sensitivity, for example. Yep. And um, this term, unified communications, uh, can you explain that a little bit? Because this is the first time I'm hearing it. Why, the, why is it called unified communications? Is it just a grandiose term or is there? Yes, good question. Uh, I think, I think so. I, I assume I it's kind of so. unifying people. And, and okay, unifying unifying the, the people. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> but that's uh, just because I'm the marketer in the room here. It's Yeah, it's kind of a snake thing to... You know, snake oil is sold out, so we have fish oil now. So they just kind of come up with a new name, create a new category. Now everybody needs it rather than, oh, we already have a conference speaker. Oh, but you don't have any unified communication. <laughs> is there really some design correct characteristics or performance characteristics that make that differ from a regular music or movies type uh, speaker? Hmm. For sure. I mean, it's, you know, again, this is something that we've seen, you know, in the past working on, say, speakers for TVs, you know, in that scenario, you you know often want to slightly accentuate the, the speech region of the bandwidth, because mm. often people will say, I can hear the music and the explosions, but I can't hear the speech very clearly, right? So again, a TV, most of the time, it's, it's, it's you know, the dialogue is the most important bit. So and again, with a, with a conferencing speaker, of course, yeah, speech is, is predominant. And, and, and again, you might end up with some you know, response shapes a little bit that, that might look a little unnatural for, let's say, someone listening to music, um, but it might provide the highest intelligibility um, over that bandwidth. So, yeah, there are sometimes some, some adjustments there. Yep. And uh, an old-fashioned <clears throat> style of voice communication was quite limited bandwidth, but uh, not really the case anymore. But um, do you think that it's still beneficial to have a bit of a rolled off high frequency because things get a little bit too digitally at the high frequency. Absolutely. And we actually, we see that in some of the, some of the products that we've kind of torn down and analyzed. We often see very, very steep uh, brick, you know, low pass filters yeah, yeah. at the top end to, to, to kind of, to help with that um, for sure. But, but, you know, at the same time, you, you, you know, exactly as you say, right. You know, the previous telephony standards, you know, maybe you have 300 Hertz to six kilohertz or something like that. Yeah. Um, was considered acceptable. Um, but what we're seeing now is that, you know, there are certain sounds uh, in human speech patterns that, that actually can't be fully reproduced with that limited bandwidth. And uh, certainly, uh, I, forget, uh, I forget the term, it's not, uh, maybe it's plosives, but some, certainly sounds like uh, S and F. Yeah. Um, those, I mean, we've actually measured this in our, in our anechoic chamber, just somebody speaking into a microphone, and we see a lot of uh, energy content up to like 14, 15 kilohertz just saying those, those letters. Um, mm. And so, again, if you want to really truly capture um, the speech so that someone, someone at the other end can clearly understand what you're saying, yeah, you probably need to have bandwidth, good, you know, good bandwidth up to at least 14 kilohertz, really. Um, right, right. Because there was this thing um, 
where, uh, like you say, there was a, there was a standard, you know, 300 to 6K, whatever it was, would be the voice mm-hmm. range. And um, I kind of got the impression maybe some people had misinterpreted that as being the optimum rather than being the minimum requirement. For, uh, do you think that's a valid uh, point of view? Very, very much so. And I think it was probably that, that initial kind of limited bandwidth was probably chosen because of the limited data rates that were available at the time. Data yeah. transmission rates, and, right, and right. You know, now we can send, you know, real, you know, real-time video and audio in high resolution, 4K, whatever, you know, no problem. So yeah, I think that's probably where it came from. Yeah, that's very good. That's very good. Okay, that's. Uh, uh, did you didn't have any ch- uh, chance to get any of those charts of the uh, sound uh, power level prepared? Maybe we can have a look at those. Yeah, if I can, um, if I can share my screen. Um, uh, give you the power. Yeah, oh, there you go. Yeah. Let me pull up a couple of things. Here we go. Where's the chess And go for So developing the sound power level measurement, you mentioned you have, uh, you know, 19 microphones <clears throat> in a hemisphere, and then you rotate the turntable and generate uh, what must be uh, hundreds and hundreds of frequency responses. Yes, yeah. We have, uh, well, so 19 responses, and then um, I guess another 36, 72, whatever 19 times 72 is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's a lot of data, but again, we, we have, um, we actually, we have a fully automated system now, so you can essentially press all of, you know, have a little front end where you type in what resolution you want and everything, and it press the button, close the chamber door, come back an hour later and you've got all the data. And actually yep. we now have a, one of our engineers is pretty adept with software and he's actually written a, some scripts now. So that's all in, in, in C sharp and automatically loads it into our uh, measurement processing packages as well. So it's, it's all ready to go. So it's a, it's a pretty slick uh, operation now. Yep. And uh, for measurement, do, uh, what type of test signal do you use? Would you use a chirp? Yes, tend, tend, tend to use a, a log chirp. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Most of the time, yeah. Okay, maybe go uh, full my... screen. Just just yep, turn it to full screen, and we should be able to see it a bit bit larger for everybody. Ah, yeah, I was I was that little yeah, icon. Seems to have made it full screen on my other screen. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think you just too hit many that screens. <laughs> okay, let me see if I can share a different screen. Hold on, I think we want this one. There we go. Perfect. So yeah, this is um, this is actually showing one of our one of our uh, recently introduced BMR drive units, the 54C. Um, it's about a, a three-inch size. Um, mm-hmm. So so actually, this this part number you see up here, I, I, I meant to change that. Sorry. <laughs> so typically, the 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 number after the C is a C means circular because we actually have square and rectangular drivers as well. Um, but the number following that is typically the power handling and. Actually, this this unit this unit has been measured up to 30 watts power handling um, with a 150 hertz high pass. Yep. Um, so I need to update that. But yeah, generally, so here you can see on the um, on the graph on the left hand side here, this is the sound power response measurement. Um, it's an uh, is it is it an IEC baffle type measurement? Yes, we, we use typically yep. use uh, the IEC baffle. It's about 1.25 meters by 1.25 meters. Okay. Um, what, what you typically see in, in like an on-axis response with that baffle is a, a fairly large dip around 400 hertz. 
Um, oh, yeah. When you look at the power, sound power response, because it's considering all the different angles, it tends to get averaged out. But you can mm. see a little bit of a feature there at 400, yeah. which the remnant of that baffled it. Um, but the, the the key takeaway here is is obviously this 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 downward sloping yeah. trend, which we, we talked about. But but also notice how everything is generally very smooth across that as it rolls down there. Yeah. Um, and you can also see that we're actually extended the measurement up to 40 kilohertz, and yeah. so you can see there's you know, really good output there up to at least 30, 30 kilohertz. Mm. Um, and in fact, you can see that on the polar response shown here to the right. Um, so you can see we've, we've picked a few frequencies. So you can see obviously one kilohertz five in red, five kilohertz in blue, um, you know, nice 180 degrees directivity. But you can see that's generally preserved even at 10 kilohertz, 22 kilohertz for the purple curve. And what you see in the black curve there is at 33 kilohertz. And again, you know, it's it's impossible. Well, it is impossible for a piston-based speaker to, to to do anything like this. Um, so this is yeah, this is really really powerful little unit. Um, and what I can also do. Um, oh, can I ask you something about this response? Yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, just. Uh, taking it as though it were a frequency response so it's sort of rolling off from about the uh, 300 hertz region is that the is that the limitation of the iec baffle in terms of its uh, its uh, baffling capability so you put down the fs at 145 mm -hmm. if you had a true infinite baffle would that level be uh, more or less up at the 95 db uh yeah that's right i, I think at the uh, minus 6 db would be around the resonance frequency um Okay, okay, minus six. So, so I actually know it would look similar to that if it was in a, a true infinite baffle is what I'm getting at. Uh, in a true infinite baffle, it, it would probably be a little smoother at the bottom end here. Um, yeah. Some of the some of the ripple and, and so on is, is, is from the finite size baffle. And, yeah. and again, you are you are losing some low frequencies because of that, that, that finite size. Um, for sure. So you'd expect to see a bit more extension at the bottom end. Um, it, it, it's worth noting that actually in in system, you, you can actually go quite a bit lower. Um, and I, something I'll, I'll show it's actually what I'm angling at. So you put it into a box with a with a uh, you know, reflex port. Yep. Uh, what would you see that you could actually go down to almost 100 hertz at uh, minus go, six type of thing? Yeah, you can go, I think it's uh, almost to 80 hertz minus six. Um, mm. I actually have a, another thing I can sh if I can share my screen again. Um, so we actually have been working on a um, going up earlier. Give me two seconds. Is there any is there any distributors? Somebody selling these one by one? Can I buy one? Uh, at the moment, we've only we're only just kind of releasing it for mass production at the moment. Um, okay. So at the moment, best bet is to contact Tectonic if you want if you'd like samples. But um, we typically do make these available through some of our distribution partners. You know, people like Parts Express and. Uh, so okay, Parts Express then. So not specifically this driver, but other Tectonic drivers. I can jump on Parts Express and buy one piece. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so it's, uh, it's asking me to move this window. Um, can you see the uh, the ceiling speaker? Yep, yeah. I sure can. So this is a wanted to show you an, an implementation of this drive unit. So this is this is a ceiling speaker that Tectonic has been 
yeah. working on. Um, again, it's, I, I can't I can't say for, you know fully at this point if it's if it's uh, going to be a tectonic branded product or something that we might look to white label with 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 uh, uh, other customers and so on. But um, at the moment, we you know we built a prototype and um, the performance is, is 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 really excellent. And just just to your point on the low frequency side, yeah. Um, so you can see it's got a, a port here, a rectangular port, um, and we get minus 10 dBs, about 70 hertz, mm. uh, minus 6 dB, 80 hertz. So, um, so minus 6 dB at each end is basically yeah, 80 hertz to 15 kilohertz um, for this particular unit. Um, and actually, I've got a, a, a nice measurement here. So there's, there's absolutely no equalization being applied here. This is the, mm. the drive unit in that box, mounted in a ceiling, um, and then and then measured over a range of uh, a range of angles again right. for that sound power response measurement. And so you can, again you can see you know this is extremely smooth and extended from. We're not seeing from, we're not seeing that plot. Oh, you're not. Oh, ah. hold on. Let me. Ah. There we go. Can you see, this is the plot with the um, yeah. impedance curve and everything as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yes, got it. Right. So yeah, so yeah, sorry, apologies for that. So yeah, now you can see yeah, basically the sort of 70, 80 hertz all the way up here to beyond 30 kilohertz, you know, really, really smooth response. So, you know, what this means is that almost wherever you stand in the room, you're gonna be getting, you know, a really good experience, you know? And, and what, what we find is that, you know, a lot of the ceiling speakers that we've been listening to and measuring, um, often you know they're, 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 there's some some boosting of output or you know the way the driver's designed, um, trying to kind of push their off-axis energy as much as possible, yeah. which means that when you walk underneath it, when you're kind of in that cone, let's say you know 10, 20 degree cone directly below it, it literally cuts your head off with the high frequencies. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly what you're talking about. It's brutal. It is, yeah, and and, and what's and, and honestly, to experience the the, the tech, this tectonic one is it's really lovely because it's it's just really smooth and natural everywhere throughout the room. Um, and I say I, I would say that, of course, but but, but I, I genuinely invite you know, hopefully people will be able to purchase them and, and try it for themselves as well. Yeah, I think uh, just on the the um, the ceiling speaker install, there was something I saw today about the metro line in Sydney. Um, installing the BMRs in the ceiling in, in the tube stations there. Yeah, we just, uh, that was a really interesting one. The, um, they were looking to improve the intelligibility for like platform announcements and so on um, in, in some of the Sydney subway. And uh, there's a yeah, really nice clip. I think it's certainly on some of our social media posts comparing the, um, the, the sound of the system, pre the previous system, and then the system with the BMR speakers in place. And uh, it's literally, it's a night and day difference in terms of that whole kind of echoing down the platform and, and, and so on. Yeah. And cool. Well, hopefully this COVID ends and we can maybe get out to some of these train stations or, or, <laughs> or airports and uh, here's some BMRs. That's a whole other topic outside of uh, unified communications. Um, I know. But, if I could get on a plane to Sydney right now, I'd, I'd be there in a shop. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I guess they're fall. I don't know, Simon. What's the what's the weather like? It's the heights of summer, mate. Heights of summer, February. Yeah. Okay, that's right. I was trying to be fantastic. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Any other questions you have, uh, Simon? Nope. All right. So yeah, I guess uh, the, the, the cat's out of the bag on unified communications for Tectonic. And so this is kind of a, uh, an interoperate with an article that we wrote for Audio Express. So people can uh, get some cues from that and then get some more color from this conversation here today. So uh, I just want to thank Tim, as always. A great, uh, great guest to have and talk about uh, all this exciting BMR technology. And so thanks for that. And thanks, uh, Tim. Simon, yeah, thanks for joining. And of course, everybody, uh, please hit like and subscribe. It, uh, it helps us out and, and share our, our stuff. And if anybody has any questions, just uh, hit it in the comments below. We look forward to, to seeing those questions. So have a great day. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you.